Hello and welcome back to another edition of Podcasts from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. I'm going to talk about uh, the Ukraine and uh, uh, our attempts to be global peacemakers uh, following last week's visit to Eastern Europe by President Cyril Ramaphosa and some fellow African leaders and knowing South Africa, uh, our local publishers will be circling the journalists who followed to their great cost, uh, I'm afraid to say. Um, uh, a day or two behind uh, uh, Ramaphosa and his African colleagues on their peace initiative to Kiev, first in Ukraine and St. Petersburg, um, to meet the leader of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, who's defending his country from an invasion by his Russian neighbor, Vladimir Putin. Is there a book in it, perhaps, will be the thought? Probably not, although, to be honest, uh, I've seen publishers squeeze the book out of less than what happened over last weekend. There'll be some colourful articles and interviews, but the story of how the SAA charter, carrying about 140 mainly policemen, we hope they were real policemen, and a few journalists, got stuck on their plane on the tarmac at Warsaw Airport for most of the peace initiative, will probably quickly pass, but for one or two typically coarse South African diplomatic blunders, which will hopefully be taken as how not to do things. We'll get to them in a minute. The fate of the plane following Ramaphosa almost obscured the peace mission itself. That's probably because that's where the journalists were. While the journalists and the policemen were in Warsaw, Ramaphosa met with Zelensky, in fatigues as he has been when visiting the White House and addressing the British Parliament, some South Africans on Twitter took offence. Why didn't he dress up? And then, uh, and then Putin, who did wear a tie, as did his visitors. From the mission, we learned only two things of which I would regard as value. First, the South Africans, to their credit, we know now, emphatically recognise that Russia is in breach of the United Nations Charter in having invaded a sovereign country. Why they are unable to say that more often speaks volumes to the sheer timidity of our foreign policy. The second thing took me back to a meeting one weekend years ago uh, between Jacob Zuma and a gathering of editors and senior journalists at the presidential residence in Pretoria. It was at the heart of the row about us possibly buying nuclear power from Russia and I also think round about the time of the Russian annexation of the Crimea. On nuclear, I clearly remember Zuma saying that, quote, it would fix ESCOM once and for all. We are going to do this once and for all. On the annexation, I was close enough to hear him say less loudly that Russia has had the right to secure its frontiers. Ramaphosa clearly shares that view. He said often enough that NATO expansion to the east, even though it has only and always been at the invitation of threatened Russian neighbours, is ultimately to blame for the current invasion of Ukraine. And one of the ten points of his plan reads, there needs to be a guarantee of security for all countries involved. That's diplomatic speak for giving the Russians not only the right to defend themselves, but, I suspect, the means for making sure they never have to, of a way to project their power somehow beyond their borders without having to actually invade uh, as they have a neighbour like Ukraine. 
One way would be to try to prevent Ukraine from joining NATO or perhaps even the European Union. Given that the rest of Russia's Western neighbours have, and some like Finland only very recently, done just that and joined NATO, stopping the Ukraine doing the same thing might be difficult. It was in response to an uprising against the crooked pro-Russian Ukrainian president's decision not to pursue EU membership that the first Russian invasion of uh, the Ukraine in the Crimea and Donbass occurred. And while Ramaphosa didn't embarrass himself personally on this trip, there is clearly a lot of fighting still to come before any of the combatants are exhausted enough to really talk. On the ground, we honestly have little idea what is happening. Russian sort of social media bots or activists are all over the place claiming victories, and the Ukrainians too, which the other side ignore or deny. The political pressure, though, has for the moment to be on Putin. Uh, For while he still has resources and money, his invasion has so altered the world that Russia grew fat on after the after the uh, the breakup of the Soviet Union, gas and oil. These resources are going to matter less and less in the years to come. He's seen to that. Nobody wants to be dependent on this guy or that country. Ramaphosa had a quick bilateral uh, after the peace talks with Putin, in which we can presume they talked about whether or not. Uh, Putin, considering uh, he has uh, an international criminal court charges against him of child abduction, will attend the BRICS summit in Joburg in August. News out of that meeting seems to be that the summit will go ahead, despite our legal obligation to arrest him if he does. <laughs> that means either he agrees not to come, and it appears on uh, on uh, uh, Zoom or whatever, or that he does come and that somehow the government protects him. That latter would seem to be an extremely foolish thing to do, given that the given the threat um, uh, that the U.S. already annoyed with our Russian dalliance could withdraw seriously large trade privileges and threaten billions of rands in exports and in turn jobs, and not just raw commodity-type exports we send to China, but really high-value manufacturers like automobiles and some really serious fruit exports as well. And as I speak, Ramaphosa's senior ministers are preparing to visit Western capitals to somehow reassure them that we are not, repeat, not supporting the Russian invasion. The ministers are concerned, I am afraid, not a very convincing lot, and they have a big job to do. The fact is, the ANC does support the Russians. They do regard the Russians as an ally. The ANC uh, regards the Russian ruling party as a fellow party. But we must be careful here. You know, it's easy to trap Ramaphosa. It's easy to trap the ANC. We must never allow our irritation with the government or the ruling party to push us to the point where we where we want them to fail to the extent that the country is is punished. Because that's that would do us so much damage. We want to stay in AGOA, the African uh, Growth and Opportunities uh, Act. We want the envoys to succeed. It's galling, I know, to watch a government so bad at its job 
succeed in not not being toppled or taken out but we have to we have to be south africans first and political south africans second sadly the peace trip was also an opportunity to watch the ramaphosa administration at its incompetent worst we managed to insult the ukrainian people and the polish and hungarian governments the illegitimate presidential spokesman vincent magwenya sarcastically denied while in kiev that it was being attacked when it actually was being attacked a local publication the next day headlined him not incorrectly in my view as the quote biggest liar in the world we then managed through the actual mouth of ramaphosa's chief of security major general wally road to call the poles racists because they wouldn't allow crates of weapons to be offloaded from the charter they were stuck on in warsaw days behind the president the poles answered that they had carefully told the south africans exactly what they needed to bring in terms of paperwork and people and that their instructions hadn't been followed had been ignored apparently magwenya also managed to slip in an insult uh, to the poles while he was with ramaphosa in kiev who knows what was in those crates normally the pilots would or should know exactly what they're carrying but the plane was literally a last minute charter was there perhaps a more how should we say commercial side to the crates of weapons in the po- in the bo- in the boxes the poles were worried about like many of the people ramaphosa's collected around him into his office rode is out of his depth a bumbling cowboy who made the huge dollar robbery at uh, ramaphosa's game farm in 2020 worse by trying to investigate it on his own instead of simply reporting it properly for that his boss is now permanently off balance politically he's not even a policeman merely owning the title while ramaphosa hangs on to him the sas sandf the defense force warned rode to get his ducks in a row before the trip and he didn't and he should probably be quietly set free for his uh, cock up there's always a danger i suppose of the tell all book if you put someone like him with his back against the wall the fact that ramaphosa rates him is of vital importance his office is already filled with mediocre people and his many blunders from failing to meet his own deadlines to announcing a non-existent withdrawal from the international criminal court a testament to the inability of his staff to be of any real service to him even as he tries to build an almost parallel government around him it would be unfair to call the peace effort a failure but its eventual success if any will more likely than not be a small piece of many pieces falling into place of a lot of things going right back at home things are decidedly not right escom's load shedding is down but it is way too early to call an end to our electricity crisis the simple fact is that wind power in an early and stormy start to winter is playing an improved role and so is domestic solar power last year south africans installed 1500 megawatts of solar power on their roofs this year say experts the growth has been absolutely exponential what domestic solar does of course is reduce demand this coincides with the fact that electricity prices are sharply up and as comics self has forecast a significant drop 
in demand over winter when for industrial users like smelters prices rise three times. ESCOM also traditionally does less maintenance over winter so more plant is available, etc. etc. The new chairman or the new ESCOM chairman and Paul McQuina has been insisting that the low levels of load shedding are a reflection of his leadership. But I think really we need to wait a little probably longer for more solid evidence of that. For the rest, Ramaphosa faces a stern test of his leadership as the election approaches. Less than a year now, and very little to show for it. Evidence of state failure lies all around him. The post office is probably history. The NHI bill has been passed and will basically render medical aid schemes redundant. Good medical is probably the final straw for many taxpayers, and there's no way the state, this state, can provide it. Not that they will be told what to do. A new partnership between business and the government, call it the behest if not pleading, of business, may make a difference at the margins, but not much. The government acquiesces because it looks good to be in partnership ahead of the elections. But the ANC and its leaders and its partners, far more important partners, these political partners, than business ever will be, remain firmly convinced that not only are they in charge, but that they need to be in charge, that the state needs to be at the centre of every South African's life. A looming crisis in our economic relations with the United States might get much more nasty yet. Uh, But the ANC knows its market. It's not going to get scared. Its true believers are by now come too far to desert it. Somehow, socialism has to work. Somehow the state has to work. There's been a lot invested in it, lots of time. But if only, hey. I came across a wonderful passage uh, the other day in a book. I read bits of all the time. And I really recommend it to you if you have the time and you can find a copy. It's called Frontiers by Noel Mostert. It is to South Africa what Fatal Shore was, and probably still is to Australians. It's a kind of core history. Mostert painstakingly describes the build-up to the day when the Gossa, confronting the British north of the Fish River, as they had over a hundred years of frontier wars. Uh, The Gossa were then, this is about 1857, uh, were according to the prophecy of a teenage girl, egged on by her uncle, were to literally kill all of their cattle so that their ancestors could return new people, that's where, and new cattle would rise out of the earth. In Gossa culture, cattle were everything, and they probably still are. In the weeks ahead of the allotted final slaughter, an event which so impoverished this great culture that it can confidently be said that South Africa would be a very different country had it not occurred. Debates raged between Gossa elites who insisted on the killing and a minority of more rational leaders who disagreed. They lost. The slaughter brought forth, or brought forth, a terrible misery. Tens, perhaps hundreds of thousands of Corsa died, and they were of no more trouble to their colonizers. 
Why is it that people under pressure behave so foolishly, you ask, both at that time, in 1857, and indeed of the people who will queue up to vote yet again next year for the ANC and for Cyril, and yet more policy failure, and yet more poverty, and yet more pain. It's inexplicable. Or maybe it isn't. Mostert has a view. He writes that by the beginning of 1857, there appeared to be no alternative for the believers other than to continue with the killing of their cattle. And this struck me. The promise of fulfillment, this is of the prophecy, he writes, was by then, quote, easier to, comp- easier to contemplate than the loss of hope and the imminent consequences of their actions. Magical thinking is downright dangerous. Asking the president of Ukraine to de-escalate the defense of his country is magical thinking. Localization, the heart of our industrial policy, has turned out to be magical thinking. The NHI is magical thinking. And Ramaphosa owns it all. The only pity is he's no magician. Well, that's uh, all of it from me this week. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It's on the Financial Mail and the really impressive New Times Life site and on the Apple and Spotify podcast platforms as well. I found I really enjoy, enjoy doing my commentary and my journalism this way and I hope you'll join me here again next week. Like Arnie said, I'll be back. Bye-bye.